0: I ask you to turn in your copies of God's Word to the letter of James in the New Testament. We're going to be in chapter two, but as we will find out, uh, which which I'm sure you already know, these helpful little chapter divisions that are in our Bibles are helpful because we can all I can say go to James chapter two and you know where to find what I'm about to look at. But in reality, of course, these were not originally there when when the letters were written. And so sometimes they seem just a little artificial. Sometimes they seem a little like, uh, uh, you know, when we read a chapter book, sometimes the next chapter deals with something completely different than the last one. Well, this is an example in the Bible of where James is continuing in the same vein. And so nothing has really shifted gears as we step into chapter 2. He's building on what he's already said. But before we read this text, uh, you know, I, I, may have, I may have told you the story, either on a Wednesday night or Sunday night, maybe even a Sunday morning, of, of the time um, when I worked at a bank. When I got out of college, I had determined that, that I wanted to continue serving as a youth minister, and the Lord gave me six years at a, at a church, and He richly blessed our family during this time. I was in seminary. We didn't have any kids, and I needed, um, needed to work another job. And so I, I worked at, at the bank. I was happy to find this job because when I graduated college, the economy was not doing so well. Uh, you know, they take you through different trainings and things when, when you work at a bank, and one of the trainings had to do with, you know, what, what would you do if someone came in and had a gun and they were trying to hold the place up, you know, ask for all the money. Um, by the way, if you're ever asked that question, working at a bank, the answer to that question does not include the words, like Chuck Norris would do. Okay. <laughs> Just word to the wise. Okay. Um, so, but after a period of time of working there, uh, a, a job came open. It would have been a promotion at another branch, and my manager put me up for it. And so I was thankful for that. And I went there, and during the interview portion of, of this, you know, considering me for this job, um, the manager asked me a question. The main question that still sticks out of my mind, she asked me a number of questions, the main one that still sticks out of my mind is this. What would you do if a customer was upset and they came to you and said, if you don't do what I want you to do, I'm going to take my money elsewhere. You know Well, young naive Greg thinks to himself, and I just kind of answered, I said, "Well, we, I think we should determine if we've done something wrong, or if, if they're justified and what they're upset about. And if they are, then I think we should make it right. And if, if, they're, if they're not justified, we'll have to say, "Well, you know I'm sorry, but this is kind of the way it is, you know, you know, sorry." Um, well, that was not the right answer, I learned. The right answer was something more like this. The manager replied to me and said, well, it really depends on how much money they have. (laughs) That's what she said to me. You know, friends, the way that the world looks at people usually involves some kind of math like that. What can you do for me? Or what can you do to me? And then we respond to people, we're tempted to respond to people based on what they can do for us or what they can do against us. But the reality is, James tells us that for believers, this is not the way. This is not the way. Listen to James chapter 2 as he begins to tell us about the sin of partiality. Perhaps even your Bible has this heading, James chapter 2. It says, the sin of partiality or of playing favorites. It says this, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. You notice that? I know I'm, I'm stealing a little bit of my own thunder in a moment, but you see what it says here? Show no partiality as you hold the faith. There's something about holding the faith. There's something about knowing God that changes the way that you, look and treat, that you look at and treat other people. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring in fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? Of course, this is what's going on in this church, right? Not all people oppress everyone. Not all rich people are oppressors. But something was going on in the church there that James was writing to uh, in their little situation. Are not the rich those who oppress you and those who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Again, friends, this, this uh, sermon today has, um, has only two points, and so two points instead of three, right? But the first one's really long, and the second one's going to hurt, all right? So, <laughs> so buckle up. Here's what we learned here. You think about what just happened. Remember we talked about these chapter divisions that are helpful, but sometimes they're a little misleading? In last chapter, he said what? Last Sunday, he said what? Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. And then he rolls straight into James chapter 2 with an example of how you can do that. Here's an example of how you can not just be a hearer. Here's an example of how you can put your money where your mouth is by not showing partiality. He puts flesh on this. He puts flesh on this don't-just-be-a-hearer thing. How can we show that we are doers of the Word? By looking at people the way that God looks at them. So I've entitled this sermon, See as God Sees. And this is, a, this is a daily battle, right? Because our eyes are Genesis 3 eyes. Our assumptions are Genesis 3 assumptions. We have Jeremiah 17 hearts that are, that are broken, right? And we're tempted to think things about people that God would not think about them if, if He were looking at them. And so the, the battle and the challenge and the encouragement today is to see as God is. We could pray this prayer to God. Lord, give me your eyes toward other people. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I know that I've already kind of spilled the beans here, but I need to run over this again. Do you see the point that he's making here? There's something about holding the faith. There's something about having Jesus come inside of your heart and change your categories, change your scorecard, change your outlook. There's something about knowing the Lord that changes how you view and treat other people. And it's something more than just determining what they can do for you or what bad they can do against you. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians 1. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who, who became for us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, you see what the encouragement is here? He's, the, the encouragement is the way that you keep from valuing people the way that the world values them. The way that you see as God sees is by remembering the gospel, by remembering that it's only by humility that anyone comes to know God. So don't esteem those who are high and lifted up, because those who are high and lifted up, those who think well of themselves, those who, who seem to, to ask you to show favoritism to me, these are the people who are not evidencing are not evidencing that they have humbled themselves and come to the Lord. And, and we know ourselves. That those those of us who know the Lord only have come to know Him because one at one point the Lord humbled us. He made us low. And God's calculus is that those who are first will be last. And those who are last will be first. So we, we remember the gospel. Not many of you, he says, not many of you were wise. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. And why does God save people who humble themselves? So that it will not be, it will not be seen as because of who they are. God plays no favorites. So we should not either. This is the encouragement from the scriptures. He's saying that God uses the weak, the lowly, the outcast. It has always been God's method of glorifying himself. Second, here's what we learn. We remember the gospel's power in our own life. Of course, I've already mentioned this in in one way, but no one comes to Christ when they are strong. We only come to Christ when we're confessing our weakness. That's how you come to know Jesus, is by saying, Jesus, I am low." I have nothing. If I were to die and meet you today and all I had to show you were my good works, there's no chance I'm making it because your word says that all of my good deeds are as filthy rags. So God, I humble myself. I throw myself on your son Jesus because my only hope of knowing you is being hidden in the good works that he did because he was perfect and I am not. Humility, lowliness, No one comes to God and says, says, God, you let me into your heaven because of who I am. No, anyone who knows God comes in because of who Jesus is. And that is our only hope. He continues this way. Have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? See, this passage paints a picture. A rich man comes in. He's, 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 he's adorned with all the trappings of wealth and he has the, the rings and the clothing and he, and he desires to, to sit in the preferred spot. And not only that, but the church folk desire to give him that desired spot, right? This is a man who can do something for us. We better treat him well. Have you not then made distinctions between yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Let's review the scriptures. What do the scriptures say about how we should calibrate our view of other people? Matthew 5:3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it's those who recognize the depth of their need, who recognize that they are poor in spirit, they're bankrupt, they have no goodness. It's those who recognize their need that will be in heaven one day. Not those who are saying, look at me. Look what I've done and accomplished. Contributed. It says this also in Luke 5. And Levi... Can we park right here for a minute and get, and get real? Do you know what it does for us in our flesh, in our broken hearts? You know what it does for us when we have a judgmental attitude toward other people? You know what's actually going on in the human heart when we exalt ourselves above someone else? What's actually going on is a satanic anti-gospel activity inside the heart. Here's what it is. It's, say, it's, it's trading the gospel for some other standard of goodness. It's saying, I'm a good person. I can be accepted because I haven't done so-and-so like that person over there. Or at least I have an X, Y, or Z. Or at least I'm not, whatever the case may be. It's trading the gospel, which says you have no goodness. And it's instead saying, you know what? Yeah, I believe that gospel stuff over there. I think that's a pretty neat story. And I've already punched my ticket to heaven, right? VBS when I was seven years old or whatever the case may be. But listen, I actually, you know, when I get to heaven, uh, I'm actually, you know, Jesus kind of has me on the little express lane. I have the wristband like at Disney World or whatever because I am a little better than so-and-so. Having a judgmental attitude toward others isn't bad because it's unattractive. Having a judgmental attitude toward others is bad because what's going on in our heart is an attempt to find justification outside of Christ. Jesus is the only one who makes us good, not our comparisons with other people. So friends, run away from that. Don't compare yourself to others. Right? You can always find someone who's a little lower than you. Right? Honestly. It's not that hard. Being judgmental is one of the easiest stinking things to do in the world. I mean, seriously, you can always you just I mean, just ride down the road between here and Clarksville, you'll find somebody who's poorer than you, less you know, done less good works than you or given less to the church. I mean, it doesn't take much. It's one of the most lazy things in the world. And friends, if that's your rubric, I'm afraid it sends people straight to hell. So don't do that. Instead, look to Jesus. The time we spend convincing ourselves that we're better is time spent deceiving ourselves thinking that we don't really need Christ. Christ. Jesus is the only hope of goodness that we have. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel. They were trying to pick a king, right? They were trying to figure out who's going to be the king. Who has God chosen here? When they came, they looked on Eliab. This is Jesse's oldest son, right? Clearly, firstborn of Jesse would be the one they would pick. They looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, You know, goodness gracious, I wish I were taller. I mean, if I were 6'2", I could lead a church boy, man. I mean, people would follow me. Maybe if I played basketball in college or something, I was really tall and had a big booming voice. But the, the Bible says, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Friends, today, I don't really think the Lord's very impressed with what I'm wearing because God doesn't look at the outside appearance. What he looks at is on the inside of the heart. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So friends, I would say this. Since God does not look on outside appearances, we must keep from doing the same. We must keep from judging people in the same way. And I would say this to you. I have found this to be a very welcoming church. But here's what I expect. Right? And I'm making a bunch of bold statements. Here's what I expect. If someone. If an outsider comes into this church. I don't care if they're dressed well. Or dressed poorly. If someone who we don't know. Walks in the doors of our church. There need to be five or six church members. That get trampled. Because we're trying to rush. To make these people feel welcome. We rush to receive people. Because Jesus received us. We rush to make people feel welcome in our church because Jesus, through his blood, his life, and his death, burial, and resurrection, he has welcomed us to his table. So we rush to accept the lowly and the highly exalted because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I want to read this to you from 1 Corinthians 6 just as a reminder of who we were outside of Christ. You know that the only sin that sends you away from God's presence for eternity is the sin of unrepentance. It's the only sin that the church should really discipline for. Churches sometimes have to discipline people and say, "Listen, brother, you got to come back. This attitude, this you know, sister, this 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 sin pattern that you're running toward. You say you follow Christ, but you're not acting that way. We we want to call you back." Nothing. The church really doesn't discipline for any sin and God doesn't send people away from His presence for eternity for any sin other than the sin of unrepentance. Listen to what it says here in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, there is no sin too strong to send you out of God's presence if you return to Him in repentance and in trust. And in faith. Yes, we have consequences for our sins. Sometimes consequences follow us for the rest of our lives. But the reality is, in Christ, we can be made clean, no matter what you've done. If God doesn't look at the outward appearance, what does He look at? It's a good question to ask. What does God see? Because whatever He sees, we should be trying to see. We should be practicing looking at people the way that God looks at them, right? Here's what God sees when he looks on a person. Image bearer. He sees an image bearer of God. When we look at people, this is the the, the take home, right? This is where the rubber meets the road. This is what we can practice this week. When you look at someone, I don't know if, you go, if you're going into town and you see someone panhandling or whatever the case may be, and you're tempted to think to yourself, like sometimes people frustrate us. We think these people need to go get a job or whatever. These thoughts crop up in our hearts. We need to train ourselves to have the first thing that crosses our mind when we see someone who might frustrate us or someone who's difficult. Who you know There are people in our lives who are EGR, right? Extra grace required, you know? I don't know. You may have an EGR person in your life. Extra grace required. But when you see these EGR people, or even enemies that you have, pray you don't have enemies, the first thing that should come into our minds when we see them, before thoughts of frustration, or thoughts of anger, or thoughts of whatever, image bearer image-bearer of God. When you turn on the TV and you see people taking to the streets doing things that you think are ungodly and unrighteous, before our hearts are drawn to anger, our hearts should be drawn to sorrow because here is an image-bearer of God who is worshipping something other than the God in whose image they're created. The first thing that should come to our mind when we look on other people is image-bearer. These people have value because God has created them in the imago Day in the image of God. I told you that the first point would be really long, and that concludes the first point. The second point's going to hurt a little bit. I don't know. I just thought that was a funny thing to say. Maybe it'll hurt. Maybe it won't, right? Here's the second point resist the fear of man. You know what partiality is? You know what playing favorites really is? It's the fear of man. The fear of man is this. It's being concerned, so concerned, with what people can do for you or what they can do to you that you lose sight of the fear of God. That you're tempted to make wrong decisions because you fear what this person may do or what they can offer you. The fear of man is considering also considering the opinions of people more highly than the opinion of God. And friends, this is the chief sin of our day in the day of social media. I mean, my goodness, what the scientific studies have told us about dopamine addiction, when you, you know, you get on social media and, and the more likes you get on Instagram or on Facebook or whatever, and these little chemical dumps happen in your brain and it trains you to go back and people pull their phone out, and next thing you know they've opened up their app, they don't even before they even realize it, right? It's like the first thing you pull your phone out, you mean to do one thing, and, but you've opened up the app, right? It's because our brains have been like retrained to, 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 to go and, and to find approval from other people. See, what approval has come in? Maybe, maybe five likes, maybe seven, or maybe 17. What kind of approval have I gotten in the last six minutes that I haven't looked at my phone or my computer? But what the scientific studies have told us you know, about, uh, about approval, God has said long ago is that the fear of man is a trap. Living for the approval of other people is a trap because it is actually idolatry. It is trusting in the approval of others instead of in the approval of God. And and if we go down this road, we become so intoxicated with what other people can give us, what other people can do for us, that they become our God instead of God Himself. That's the danger. But friends, here's the reality. If we're fearing God, if our heart is full of the fear of God instead of the fear of man, if, if other people don't have the keys to what you need, they can't take what you've got. If you don't give people the keys to what you need, if they don't hold those keys, then they can never take what you've got. The reality is we need to live for something bigger than the fear of man. We might be tempted to treat people differently based on the good they can do for us or the pain they can cause. This is a temptation in churches. As a matter of fact, just two weeks ago, I believe, a pastor that I know in South Carolina. I know him loosely. He's not a a friend, but he's more of an acquaintance. This church member of his, in, in I think a very ungodly way, Publicly didn't send him a private message, but wrote on his like, news feed. You know, people can do that. You go on somebody and you type something and it said, from this person to this person. And he said, Pastor, if we don't change, I won't mention what he said, if we don't change this, I'm taking my tithe money elsewhere. In other words, show me favoritism or else, Pastor. You see the satanic nature of that? Using your money or your church membership as a bargaining chip before God? Oh, I pray that this pastor called his bluff. I hope this pastor invited this man to make good on that threat. Because that church would probably be one church member healthier if he left. I hope he did. You know what the Bible says about justice? It says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. You know, the Bible, sometimes uh, people who are very antagonistic against the church, they know one Bible verse, and that's from Matthew 7, where it says, Judge not, lest you be judged, right? Well, you know that there are plenty, there's plenty of other context around that. As a matter of fact, a couple verses later, it says, Judge with a right judgment. Actually, is John 7. It says, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. John seven twenty four. Deuteronomy 10, again from the Old Testament, says this, The Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow. He loves the alien and gives him food and clothing. Friends, the reality is this. We don't show favoritism. We're going to do it imperfectly, right? Our hearts have temptations. We're going to stumble, right? I know I'm making bold statements, and maybe two weeks from now you may notice hey, it seems like Greg was playing favorites there. Well, friends, I, I, all I got to say is I'm a sinner and I'm doing this thing the best I can. Okay? But the reason that we strive not to engage in favoritism is because this world is passing away. The good that other people can do to you and the evil that they can do to you only last for, on average, 78.54 years. Hmm. But honoring God will reap a reward that will last for eternity. So we don't fear man. All they can do is kill us. All man can do is something that will last on average 78.5 years. But we have this confidence and this rubric instead. Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he had promised to those who love him? We need to remember the gospel. Three things, four things that we can do with this. First, remember the gospel. Rehearse your great need for God. When you sense these little things cropping up in your heart, these little other ways of justifying yourself, well, at least I'm holding down a stable job. Well, at least I haven't gone off into that sin pattern. Well, at least my name's not X, Y, or Z. When you see these things cropping up in your heart, remember what scripture says, that you came into this world with nothing You you came from dust. The only reason that God has accepted you is because of what Jesus did, not because of what you have done. Anything else is an anti-gospel distraction. Remember the gospel. Secondly, begin to practice viewing other people as image bearers, right? When you see that person and you're like, I just, you know, these people need to get a job or these people need to, whatever. Those thoughts come in my mind too, friends. Pointing out there, but three fingers pointing back at me, right? When you find yourself tempted to think disparaging thoughts about a person, practice saying to yourself, no, this person is first and foremost an image bearer of God. Thirdly, ask God to renew in you a deep sense of the fear of God. The only way to push out the fear of man is by filling your heart and your mind with the fear of God. You can't serve two masters there can only be really one person who takes residence up in our soul replace the fear of man with the fear of god and then i'll say this lastly maybe for some maybe you thought that god will accept you based on who you are or what you've done maybe those thoughts in the back of your mind you would never say it out loud in a sunday school class or whatever but just remember this god shows no favoritism He's not going to let you in based on what you've done because you're no better than the next person. The only goodness that He sees is the goodness that His Son earned. And if you're you're hidden inside the robe of that goodness and that righteousness, if you have by faith asked Christ to become your Lord, then you're hidden inside of Jesus' goodness. But if you haven't, then you're not. You're still out here trying to say, well, God will accept me because, you know, contribute to society, or I've given X, Y, or Z to the church, or whatever the case may be. God sees no goodness except the goodness of His Son, Jesus, poured out on our behalf. I pray that these things would be encouraging. I pray they would not seem hard. I pray that uh, I pray that they would not seem like a, 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 a hoop that is too high to meet, but that instead we would throw ourselves not on our works, but on the finished work of Jesus. He has done it all. He has done everything that we need. And in that spirit, I would ask you to pray with me now as we begin to respond and reflect. Would you pray? Would you stand as you close your eyes? And we will ask God to do His work among us. Lord, as we respond to Your Word we come face to face with one of the great temptations and that is to give more credence more weight more concern to the people that we see here and now and what they can do for us or what they can do to us instead of instead of placing our placing our hope and our trust in the fear of God who we can't see now but we know is real and we will be with in eternity. Lord, for some of us this means repenting of the sin of, of, the, of the fear of man of, of wanting of people's approval, right? We just live for the approval of other people. For some of us it means repenting of cowardice. like I, Lord, you might be saying something like, Lord, I have let the fear of man drive me in some ways that it shouldn't have or, or something like that. Or, or Lord, I have not loved the poor man because I have convinced myself that, well, if he's poor, I guess he got himself there. Lord, help us to look out and to see not anything but image bearers of God. Lord, would you retrain our minds, retrain our eyes, give us a new scorecard, give us a new rubric, give us a new value system so that we can see as you see. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, with everyone continuing to stand with your eyes closed, I would just ask you, I would ask you as as Miss Dawn begins to lead us in a time of reflection and response, is there some kind of response that the Lord requires of you from James chapter 2, verses 1 through 7? Whatever that is, if you just need to say a quiet prayer in between the pews and say, Lord, would you free me from the fear of man? Would you help me to love the poor? Or if it means, Lord, I, I recognize today, I've only been, I've been trusting in my works. And, and, and God, you don't play favorites either. So, so I, need to, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus today. I need to be hidden inside his robes, his goodness, his righteousness. Whatever the case may be, I would ask you today to respond to the gospel.